Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Hello and welcome to What Goes Up, a weekly markets podcast. My name is Mike Regan. I'm a senior editor at Bloomberg. And I'm Valdana Hark, a cross-asset reporter with Bloomberg. And this week, well, as the name implies, on this show, we like to discuss what's going up in markets. And while the stock and bond markets haven't given us much to talk about, here's one thing that has. Lean hogs. If you want to buy a futures contract on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange that represents 40,000 pounds of pork, it'll set you back about $36,000, $740 at the moment. That's up about 12% this year. 
And it's hardly the only farm product that's rallying this year. Futures on corn and soybeans are up about the same. And while it's a fascinating market story, it also speaks to how those lingering supply chain problems and the war in Ukraine are coming home to roost on the farm and posing risks to the global food supply. We'll get into it with someone who is an expert on how these markets work. After all, he is a farmer, Vildana. He is indeed. He grows all these things, I believe. Uh, Hogs, corn, and soybeans. Very excited to have him on the show. But Vildana, I'm also very excited to hear about yet another glamorous vacation of yours coming up. (laughs) You love to call me out. I don't know how you do it. How? Uh, where? Where are you jetting off to this time? I'm going to Spain. So, so next week, I th- I believe you're flying solo. I won't be around next week, uh, to help you with the podcast. So, oh, oh I don't no. know how you'll survive. But uh, who, who is going to roast me mercilessly? I'll have to find somebody who can do it as well as yeah. I, uh, as well as I do it. <laughs> Called in, but I'm also <laughs> excited for your trip because. This guest this week has really got me in the mood for some pork. I'm very hungry for some some pork products. You can have that in Spain. I well, I know. Believe me, I know. I know you're going to be eating nothing but cauliflower, cauliflower while you're there. Yes. Don't it's, tell our guests I'm vegetarian. And a, a complete <laughs> cauliflower flower diet. I think don't, I just heard him guffaw. Don't tell him. Yes, let me let me introduce him. I want to bring him in. It's it's Brian Duncan. He's the vice president of the Illinois Farm Bureau. He's a farmer in Northwest Illinois, and he also actually is a podcast host. So, Brian, thank you so much for for joining us on the show this week. Uh, thanks for having me here, Vildana. And also, I am not a vegetarian. <laughs> I figured. I just didn't want you to know that I am. I've, all I want, Vildana, it's it's called Iberico ham. They sell yeah. it like a full hog's leg at a time. It's it's cured. It's delicious. I'm not asking for a full 40,000-pound futures contract of ham. You just, just want one, like 10 pounds. Just one leg. You could fit it into your carry-on on the plane. Right, I'll Brian? Uh, no, I'm sorry, but we are not allowing pork products in from other countries because of the risk. Of a uh, of a foot and mouth disease, and so uh, an African swine fever. So I'm sorry, Mike. You would have oh my to gosh, travel really? to Europe to enjoy that that premium product. E- even the cured, the cured, the cured, All right. cured and cooked. Either one, you will not get past the Beagle Brigade at the airport. The Beagle Brigade. That's good to know. <laughs> That's what it's called. That's what it's called. The, the Beagle Brigade. The, what the, the the dogs that yeah. uh, sniff stuff yeah, like customs. that. Yeah, customs. That's that's what's keeping that's what's keeping our, our domestic pork production healthy and African swine fever free. The All right. Well, well, Donnie, you're gonna ha- you're gonna have to smuggle my ham leg then. I, it's gonna be dangerous. For, for you, I'll smuggle. I'll smuggle All for right. you. For you, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but so so Brian, speaking of all of this. I want to ask you about exactly this. So you and your wife, you raise corn, soybeans, wheat, pigs, and cattle on your farm near Polo, Illinois. So maybe we just start out with you telling us about yourself and how things are going on the farm today. Uh, Sure. Well, uh, again, glad to be here and and thank you for this opportunity. Yeah, I I grew up on our family farm. Uh, I was fortunate enough to marry my high school sweetheart. So we're celebrating actually 40 years together and 33 years of marriage. This year, and uh, we have four children, and three of which are also actively involved on our family farm. And so, it's uh, it's a great lifestyle. It's a it's a, you know the hate to sound cliche like the movie, but it is a wonderful life, and uh, it's a pretty high calling. I think uh, growing food and fuel and fiber for America and for the world. And so uh, we take a lot of pride in what we do, like all farmers. Uh, yet at the end of the day, we're a family business. 
That's fantastic. I got to say, I often had dr- daydreamed about being a farmer. I grew up in Pennsylvania, not on a farm, but near farms. I, I, I'd often daydreamed about being a farmer, but I don't know if I can, if, if, if I have the fortitude of the getting up in the I think you don't. I, th- I think I'm, I'm meant to be an office guy. My teachers in school would attest that I spent an awful lot of time daydreaming about being a farmer as well when I was in school. <laughs> so living the dream, Mike, living the dream. <laughs> Uh, Brian, I wanted to, you know, the listeners of this podcast uh, are very much of a financial uh, orientation, investors and and traders and and that sort of thing. So I wanted to tap in a little bit into your expertise on uh, the futures market. You know, as I said, the the futures prices uh, on lean hogs, corn, soybeans, all all up tremendously this year. Well, not tremendously, but up up a decent amount, tremendously when compared to all other assets. I'm just kind of curious how a farmer uh, like yourself approaches the futures market. You know, we always hear that it's a way to sort of hedge uh, what your crops are going to do in the coming year. But sort of what is your relationship with the futures market? Um, you know, do you deal with a broker, that sort of thing? And, and, and how does it work in your favor or not? Well, I'd say you could describe my relationship as solidly love-hate. Uh, <laughs> and it depends on which way the market's going. So, yeah, I'm a, like a lot of or most farmers, I employ a bunch of different risk management strategies on our farm, and they involve hedging with a broker. They involve cash-based futures contracts with a uh, uh, a packer or a grain merchant. Um, we also use some of the government risk management tools, the crop insurance or livestock insurance tools that are also based uh, off futures markets. So I'm usually using the futures markets to manage the risk on my on my crop production and on my hogs uh as far as i so i do forward selling forward contracting and and what i'm looking at mike is is uh the ability to cover costs and allow ourselves a reasonable return and when we see those opportunities we we certainly do a portion of them using using a combination of those risk management tools you know and you mentioned that that prices are up and they are for agricultural commodities but that just doesn't necessarily mean the profits are up because our costs are up as well. You know, when you say corn and soybeans are, are higher, well, that makes the cost of production on the hogs higher. And so we're looking at margin and, and we're looking at how we can best manage that margin and then, and then protect that margin um, out into the future. Yeah, right. I, so I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around if I see a futures market like this where there are you know, pretty good gains in agricultural commodities, who's benefiting from that? Is it some farmers, if, if they made the right trade, or is it mostly speculators, hedge funds in the middle? Yeah. You know, who are sort of the players in the market uh, that, that uh, you know, are, are winning or losing in, in an environment like this? Well, the funds have certainly become a big driver in these markets. And you certainly want to keep an eye on what they're doing, if they are net long or net short a commodity. And when they exit or enter, uh, they can have a pretty dramatic impact on the markets because uh, there's not a lot, there's not enough money to take the opposite position uh, oftentimes. So you'll see them run the market up or down, hence the love or hate relationship that I have with the marketplace. Um, so yes, it's really, Mike, it's it's a combination. It could be end users. So when prices go up, end users who have locked in their supply uh, benefit because they've hedged their risk. Um, speculators who have looked at uh, geopolitical uh things like weather or war and decided yeah. uh, commodities were a good investment and the market goes up and certainly producers, if they, uh, 
if they've got a handle and if they can grow a crop, you know, if you've got a drought, it doesn't matter how high the prices go if you don't have anything to sell. So in generally, now prices going up is a benefit to rural America and, and to farmers. You know, it, it's just also got to be, it's more about margin. You know, it's, it's, it's the difference between our cost of production uh, per unit and then what that unit is priced at. And so, and so good margins are better than high prices. High prices don't necessarily mean good margins, but a lot of times they surely do. Does that make any sense to you? Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's the same conundrum that corporate America is facing, right? You know, uh, sure, their selling prices are higher, but their costs are higher too. And, you know, do you have the pricing power to to raise your prices more than your costs? And, uh, you know, not everyone does. So it's, it's a... It- yeah, and that's an important point, Mike. Farmers are price takers. We do not have pricing power. We are subject to the whims of the Board of Trade. The Board of Trade does not care what our cost of production is. The futures, the mercantile exchange does not care how much it costs me to produce a pound of pork. We are at the mercy of the marketplace. And that's what puts farmers in a uniquely disadvantaged position as far as inflation goes. We are price takers on both sides. We are subject to global fertilizer prices. We do not as individuals have enough market clout to drive a price. So we pay what the market offers uh, us on inputs and we take what the market gives us on outputs. And so that puts us in a very challenging position at times. Yeah. So how do you think the average uh, hog farmer is doing this year? Are they, are they able to protect those margins or is it a, is it a tough year? No, I think, I think for the most part, the hogs, the hogs have made enough money this year to pay the feed bill, which when you look yeah. at the price of corn and soybeans, um, that's, that's really saying something. Now myself, I'm in a, in a, different position than a lot of hog producers in which I grow all my corn uh, that I need to feed my hog operation. So I'm in essence buying it from myself. Um, and so, so that there's a benefit to that. That's kind of hedging a risk. Uh, but I would say in general, um, a lot of hog producers I know implement risk management strategies. And when they can see a margin uh, that allows them to buy corn and soybean meal and hedge hogs at a price that allows them margins, they will take all three positions. And so the market has offered those opportunities this year. And I think in general, it has been a, a pretty good year uh, for the hog for the hog side of the, of the business. So Brian, just to go back to the p- point you were just making about passing on prices, because I wanted to ask you about this, that it is much more difficult for farmers to do this. So can you just for me to better better understand the dynamics. Can you just talk a little bit more about how rising prices, what the the how it directly translates to you, what the what the relationship actually looks like? Sure, Vildana, that's and, and it's impossible for farmers to set their price, at least in a commodity type market. Now if you're a specialty grower or have uh, you know a a, a, a direct to consumer market, then you've got some options. But most of us grow bulk commodities. And and we, uh, we are at the whim of the marketplace, and that marketplace has two aspects to it. So it's got the futures price that, Mike, you talked about. You can look on the Board of Trade and see the prices that, that the board is offering on different commodities. But then the next part of that is the local price, which involves basis. And basis is the discount or plus the futures price that the local market is willing to pay. And usually it's a discount because usually there's transportation involved. But in times of shortage, some local markets will actually pay over the board of trade. 
So, so farmers, usually marketing is a two-step process. I will uh, do a hedge uh, on the board, and then I will look for opportunities to capture a good basis as well. And so it's all a matter of timing, knowing market dynamics, and uh, looking for those opportunities. So selling for a farmer is generally a two-step process on the grain side, at least. Hogs, there is a basis element to it. Um, and hogs get really complicated. Hogs uh, do not have a way to deliver. If I sold a contract on the mercantile exchange, there's no way I can deliver that contract of hogs anywhere. So it does what's called cash settled, and it means it has to settle out with the cash market. And Vildana, this is getting incredibly complicated, but the basis is still very real in that aspect as well. No, we like we like complicated. It's it's fascinating to to unpack all this. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, 
athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You know, Brian, I was looking at the, the futures curve uh, for hog prices. And, and for listeners who don't know what I mean by that, you know, there's futures going all the way out to what, uh, the end of next year, I think, maybe even further. I've got them, futures I've got them pulled up right now. Lock 23 is what I show, but there might be some, there might be some yeah. further than that. And it's a very unusual shape of the curve. In other words, it's, it's lower, you know, it, it goes lower in the first month, I believe. And then it goes really high into like the spring and summer of next month. Then it comes back down. Um, is that simple, something as simple as just a, a, a seasonality, people, you know, doing more barbecuing in the summer, that, that sort of thing? And that you are very observant. And that's an excellent question. And you have part of the answer, correct? Yeah. But it also has to do with the uh, genetic uh, and the biological reality of pork production. And, and I'll put it bluntly, sows <laughs> breed easier and you have more successful breeding in the spring and in the fall. That's the seasonality for a hog. We breed hogs and raise them all year. The hogs that you breed in the summer, in the heat, your conception isn't as good. And so when you're farrowing those pigs in November and December that will go to market in May, June, and July, your numbers are down. And so there are fewer numbers available for the marketplace over the summer months due to the seasonality, the biological realities of pork production. And, we, and, and Mike, we, we have these, these hogs in, in wonderful facilities, uh, air-conditioned in, in, in a certain aspect. We use evaporative cooling. A lot of fans move a lot of air, but that biological reality that there's just going to be fewer market hogs available in the summer is something that we have not figured out a way to uh, work around yet. That is fascinating. So, you know, you, you've got the, the hog honeymoon suite there with the air conditioning yep. and the mood lighting, I guess. And the, and yeah, all the candles. You can't talk it's But it's just something in their DNA that uh, that regulates that cycle, yep, I guess. very much so. And, and uh you know, the heat, uh, yeah, it's, it's just a seasonal issue. And so the numbers will always, if you would go back and look at a bell curve, Mike, of, of, of hog harvest week by week, the highest, the, the largest harvests are always in uh, October, November, December. And, and so that results in the lower prices that you're looking at now. Now, if you, we'd have had this discussion in May and you'd have been looking at, at June, July, and August hog futures as a lean month, you'd have seen them the highest because there's, there's just fewer hogs. And then we also experience a bump with grilling season, certainly, and, and, and that all helps. But the pure seasonality of, of pork production is, is very much at play when you look at that futures curve. And Brian, we've mentioned a couple of different issues so far. So you have inflation, you have supply chain issues, you have 
droughts and all kinds of other other problems that you're dealing with. I'm hoping maybe you can just break down one or two of them for us and how it directly impacts you. And I'm wondering what the most difficult issue or problem has been to deal with. Well, I think inflation um, on inputs on the crop side and some of the hog side would be would be number one. And I think supply chain issues are number two. And on any given day, I, w- I would trade those back and forth. And, uh, and, and I, think, I think they are, you know, certainly connected. I think uh, inflation, we, you guys, you're the experts. Well, I'm not sure why you should be telling me about this. But, <laughs> but you know, we still see some, some uh, disruption due to COVID, some manufacturing that wasn't done. A lot of our inputs come from China, and we still see a zero COVID tolerance policy in China that impact that impacts our ability to export some of the base materials we need, whether for livestock feed or uh, crop production products. Um, we see geopolitical unrest, uh, a lot of uh, and disruption caused by the war in Ukraine. Uh, Russia was a large exporter of fertilizer, and as you know, a large exporter of natural gas to Europe. And, and now in the Nord Stream, with the disruption in the Nord Stream pipeline, Europe comes shopping here for natural gas, and natural gas is a base ingredient for fertilizer, for nitrogen fertilizer. So that has definitely been a disruption, uh, supply chain, whatever, whatever you want to call it. And then I think another closely related issue with inflation and supply chain is availability of labor. And, and we see that anywhere from the farms to the suppliers to the manufacturers, that uh, labor is is a very limiting factor, and even in the harvest facilities, the livestock harvest facilities, the availability of labor to to maximize outputs and to maximize the availability of out, of inputs is very real for American agriculture right now. Is there, Brian, any sense that any of these issues are are uh, improving? Is there any sort of light at the end of the tunnel for all these problems? I. I <laughs> I would have said yes prior to the invasion of Ukraine. Yeah, um, that I think I've been saying, and I was on a on a, a farm bureau trip in Europe eight days after the invasion happened, been meeting with farmers and farm suppliers over there, and I came away saying this has changed American agriculture for a generation. That the wow. redirection of uh, raw materials and then of commodity flows. I think is very real and something we are going to be dealing with for a long time. I mean, as Russia was a major exporter of fertilizer and natural gas, and you also see some tensions with China, they're holding their fertilizer within their own country. And yet you see a growing demand for fertilizer, be it in Brazil, Africa, here. Uh, It's just led to, it was, it's just a huge disruption. So you don't, you don't flip a switch and start, a major fertilizer production plant overnight. It takes years to site one, years to put one in place, and a huge investment that that any investor would want to know that the returns are not just short term. That there, there's going to be long term demand here, and so I think the fertilizer disruption is very real and is uh, something we're going to be dealing with going forward for a while. Uh, the labor issue again. You are the experts. I'm a I'm a hog farmer from Polo, Illinois, but my sense on labor is there needs to be a collective political will amongst the leadership in this country to find a solution and pr- come forward with some legal immigration reform. When we have people willing to work in some of these key supply chain jobs, 
we need to find a way to allow them into this country and to fill those tasks. Now, the H-2A program certainly helps in agriculture, and there's some different visa programs that help. But I think that is probably more doable than, than solving this global redirection of fertilizer and energy. I mean, and that's the other thing. Agriculture is very fossil fuel dependent. We are. It's a base product in, in, in making uh, some, of the, some of the chemicals that we use, the plant protection products, but our machinery runs on diesel. And when diesel goes up, our life gets a lot more expensive and everything we have on the farm or sell on the farm comes on a semi or leaves on a semi on a big truck. And uh, the cost of transportation has gone through the roof as well. And so uh, I think we need to <laughs> aggressively uh, continue to, to look for solutions in the fossil fuel space. And uh, that would also help. Brian, do you see, just to go back to the point about Russia and Ukraine and the fertilizer shortages, do you see American farmers stepping in to help fill the void, even if it's not a quick turnaround? You mean as far as like our co-ops investing in fertilizer production and things like that? Is that what you're talking about, Phil Nana? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe. So some of our co-ops used to own fertilizer production facilities um, and they weren't profitable. And so they divested of them. And, and so we've seen, you can, you know, I would call it an oligopoly, a very small number of fertilizer companies that control a large amount of the supply and farmer and co-ops used to be in that space, but they're not now. I don't know if there is the will or the capital to make a long-term commitment to re-enter that space. My sense would be once burnt, twice shy. Yeah. You know, Brian, the other uh, issue that comes up in pretty much every discussion uh, like this, uh, you know, about macro issues around the world is is China and the sort of state of the economy in China, the state of trade relations with the U.S. Um, China, from everything I've read, is is a major uh, consumer of, of U.S. pork products. Um, how do you see this decoupling of the U.S. and China playing out sort of in the in the longer term? Is that a is that sort of a, a risk that maybe they'll start turning elsewhere for hogs? Uh, is that a danger to to your business at all? Do you think? Yeah, I'm I'm very worried about what <laughs> what I would call the the relationship that I've read and understood as BRICS, B R I C S, Brazil, yeah. Russia, India, and China, and how they could become uh, a galvanized interdependent force that would have that would have tremendous geopolitical consequences and it would definitely impact american agriculture i mean we see brazil so brazil was a main grower of soybeans okay and, and so we know they're a lead export competitor on soybeans but they've also uh, advanced in the technologies to grow two crops in one year in brazil they grow corn it's called their safarina crop after they grow soybeans and now the safarina crop their average yield is half or less than half of what American crops yield, but still that many acres, that's a lot of bushels. And, and China has made moves to accept corn imports from Brazil, which as, as we look at the redirection of trade, if, if there's an alliance there, um, that could be very problematic for American agriculture and our ability to export. And, but I think there's other opportunities as well. We don't want to just export base commodities. We like to export value-added commodities like ethanol. And I, and I think there's room there. But 
to do exports around the world. But it, China is is uh, challenging. How's that uh, for a trading partner? They just delisted a pork plant in uh, Indiana, um, and 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 won't accept it for exports. And I'm not sure why. I'm not sure anybody knows why. And and so these non-tariff trade barriers that we see China is, is pretty expert at deploying at times, uh, which makes which makes a long-term relationship with them very challenging. But at the end, when you look at those consumers there, American businesses and American farmers time after time have decided uh, the juice is worth the squeeze. And so uh, we put up with it and, and continue to try to move into that market. I imagine none of that actually helps with rising meat prices, right? And, and I'm, I'm wondering if you have seen dwindling consumer demand at all with the, with the rise in meat prices that we've seen? I have not heard of any. The consumer demand remains strong. And, I, and some of the, the, the rise in meat prices that you're seeing is a fallout of COVID. Uh, so those of us in production agriculture, when COVID hit, especially in the livestock bit business, and I'm sure you, uh, you covered this uh, back in 2020 when we had harvest facilities going closed and we had animals with no place to sell them, it was a very bleak time in livestock production. And there were some decisions made then. And remember the biology of the animal. There were some decisions made at that time to call breeding herds, to, to exit businesses. And, and in production agriculture, we just can't flip a switch and turn a light back on. If I want to raise more pigs, I need to and have those pigs ready for market. It is an 18-month process till I have marketable livestock. By the time I select the breeding animals, raise them, breed them, raise their offspring, it's 18 months. And so you're, you're seeing the result with higher prices here of, of very real struggles and very challenging times that farmers had during COVID and uh, the reduction in the herds. And then you're also seeing a result of Ildana of a lack of available labor on some of these farms to ramp production back up. But I, consumers and, and the rising middle class around the world will continue to have a demand for protein. That's just a fact. When consumers raise their standard of living, they want to eat better. And we've seen that time after time. And so I think there is solid underpinning of demands for protein. And I sure hope uh, that consumers understand that uh, farmers were doing all we can to supply the protein to them. Uh, there's just an awful lot of mitigating factors these days. You know, Brian, I, as I said earlier, uh, you know, I grew up in Pennsylvania in the suburbs of Philadelphia, and there were family farms all around me. But, you know, one by one, the value of that real estate started to become so valuable, uh, you know, as the suburban sprawl sort of spread out throughout uh, the suburbs of Philadelphia. You're, I think, what, about two hours outside of Chicago? Yep. Is that right? hundred miles. Yep. Very much. hundred miles. So I'm just curious, you know, we've had this hot real estate market, at least, you know, until a few months ago when the interest rates are kind of cooling it off. And, you know, the, my sense is there's this very much a migration out of the cities into the suburbs and the exurbs. Is there uh, any pressure, uh, market pressure on any of your, your fellow farmers or at least the temptation to say, look, this is a hot time to sell this land? Uh, and and just retire and, and cash in on the value of that real estate. I imagine that's always kind of a tension for a farmer is, is you know, is this, has my real estate, uh, my farmland appreciated enough that, uh, you know, it makes sense to, 
to to bail on it on this farm and and sell to a developer. Is that an issue now, or am I just imagining that? Like, I is that is that getting to be a bigger issue for farmers? That temptation to to offload their real estate again. A very good question, Mike. And and so first of all, you need to realize. Remember what state I live in? Yeah, Illinois. Illinois. Yeah. Not a lot of people looking to move to Illinois. So, well, it's, it's, it's reality. You know, if we were talking to a farmer in Texas or in Florida or some of the other hot growth states, that could, yeah. that could be a, a bigger tension. So what we have seen, yes, there is some there is some development pressure around certain cities, but we have seen an overall rise in real estate values uh, tied to the value of commodities and low interest rates and the interest of people to invest in solid assets. Uh, you know, Vildana, you said earlier, you, you, you specialize in cryptocurrencies. Well, farmland is about the opposite, as much of an opposite investment as cryptocurrency in cryptocurrency uh, as there is, because people like to be able to drive by and see their farmland. And so we have seen a rise in, in interest from investors. And so, yes, it has caused uh, farmland values to rise. Uh, the capitalization required to farm is uh, extraordinary and uh, a rising interest rates also makes our costs higher. But, but Mike, your second question, the other side of that coin is when a farmer sell, if he would sell that land and cash out, then he's going to realize some pretty significant capital gains taxes. Right. And so most farmers that I know, at least in my area, we're not development pressured. We have investment pressure, um, hold the land, try to hold it for generations. Hopefully, you know, they all we all hope our kids want to farm and I'm fortunate. I got three, maybe four that, that want to be a part of it. And so we see this as a long-term play, uh, like generations. I've got a grandson that was born last August. I'm already figuring out which tractor he's going to drive in a few years. So <laughs> we, we tend to look at it generationally, Mike, not, not that short term, but I know if a farmer is nearing retirement and doesn't have any kids coming on, um, yeah, I, I think that's probably a very real temptation, but then they're always going to look at the tax consequences and, and make the decision. Well, that's interesting that the value of it as farmland, it, it sounds like that that demand for the farmland is just as strong, uh, maybe str- stronger in your area than the, the value of a development. Yeah, and, and it's not just the price of commodities. We see, we see some very interesting, um, I don't know if they're anomalies or if they're real, but there's interest in carbon sequestration and value of farmland in the whole climate battle and what, what that might look like. Um, companies that may be buying farmland to offset their ES, ESG scores. There's all sorts of dynamics here at play right now that it's kind of hard to get a handle on. Right, right. Well, let's unpack that a little bit, the carbon idea. That's, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, the manure, right? You, you collect the, the gases coming off the manure. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's a sequester of the plants. The, it, Again, I was daydreaming about farming and high school chemistry and biology, <laughs> but the plants capture the carbon and, and, and hold the carbon, and then they go into the soil, and the carbon stays in the soil. That's, right, that's, right. that's about my third grade level of education. And so farmers can sequester or capture carbon from the air and hold it in the soil. And right, there, right. Is some, there is some interest in that ability that companies would pay farmers Companies who are big carbon emitters would uh, pay farmers uh, for sequestering carbon. But uh, there's a, a world of unknowns yet about that, Mike. We don't even know if you can accurately measure carbon in soil. 
And some of the uh, techniques used to hold that carbon in the soil are really challenging, uh, not conducive to growing crops, at least in more northern uh, parts, uh, colder climates. And so there's a lot of there's a lot of questions, but let's just say there's interest there about could that be another potential revenue stream for farmers and see farmers as part of the solution uh, for climate change. your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 
5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Brian, I, I have so many questions for you, and I apologize for jumping from topic to topic, but I do want to ask you about your crop this year because I, I read an interview or heard an interview of yours, uh, a recent one, where you had said you felt good about your crop this year. So can you maybe give us an update on this and in particular maybe focus on corn because we had a Bloomberg story a couple of days ago that said the U.S. is set to have its smallest corn crop in something like three years. So. Uh, maybe just give us an, an update and an overview of, of how that's going. Yeah, sure, Bill Dunn. I feel very fortunate this year. We have been the benef- uh, beneficiaries of very timely rainfall in Northwest Illinois. We have been very dry the last two years, yeah, but this year, uh, we <laughs> the good Lord smiled on us. We were horrible dry in June, and, and I thought our crop was deteriorating before my eyes. And then the last Saturday in June, out of nowhere, we got an inch of rain. And then it's just been raining pretty regularly since then. And then like three weeks ago, we had two, three and a half inch rains in two days. And then last week, a five inch rain, which that's getting a little silly. Uh, But the point being, we have had plenty of moisture and our good soils, the part of the world that I'm from in Northwest Illinois, uh, we don't irrigate. We rely, we rely on mother nature for rain and, uh, We've been very blessed this year. I think we, in my part of the world, are going to have a phenomenal crop. Uh, Now, there's other parts of the state, I don't have to drive very far, that the rains have been fickle. Um, They may drop three quarters of an inch in one area, then go two miles away, and they didn't get anything. And so there are parts, and then especially as you go west, in Iowa, Nebraska, they've been dry, plain and simple dry. And uh, that's where the reduction in yield... uh, is is that you're seeing in the news? Well, I'm I'm glad to hear that that yours is going well. But then maybe can you talk about next year and how how you're planning for 2023 and how supply chain issues hinder or 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 make uh, planning for the next year more difficult? Yeah, again, that's a that's a great question. Um, we need to now. We've got a decision point with our local suppliers uh, of crop pr- input products. We, to get the best prices or to lock them in so we know we have availability, we need to pay cash for them uh, by the mid-September for next year's inputs. And I was just running the numbers today before I, before I came here, um, what that would look like, what the cash flow needs would be, and, and if I think that these prices are worth locking in now. So they're significantly higher than what we locked in at this time last year but they're down a little than the, fer- the fertilizer prices are down a little from the spring high. Um, so I think we will go ahead and plan the same basic crop rotation. I tend to plant 80% corn, 15% soybeans and about 5% wheat. So I say I'm from the land of, of corn. We grow a lot of corn in my area and that's what, that's still the economics look favorable for that. As I was looking at next year's prices, they're not as good as this year. Uh, but there's a lot of time yet to take advantage of maybe some marketing opportunities between now and then. But what I have been told is uh, if we pay for it now, there's availability. That if you don't want to pay for it, um, you're, taking, you're taking a risk. Um, and so those are, those are the realities we're facing right now. And, and how does the rising dollar 
uh, affect you? Well, it makes our exploit makes our products more expensive in the world market, right? You know, the, the, when we're looking at exporting corn or soybeans or pork, there's all of a sudden cheaper places to get it uh, in the world. There's, uh, if you're China, you can, you can import corn from Brazil. Um, but, but I believe the real has had some strength lately too. So rising dollar makes any, puts any exporter, not just agriculture, uh, at a disadvantage. You know, Brian, so I'm trying to think, you know, if, if I had to, uh, create a, a version of the consumer price index, the CPI and call it the farmer's price index for all the input costs and all your, and, and your selling costs, it strikes me as it, uh, it doesn't sound like you would expect that to be coming down anytime soon. Um, you know, you're talking about locking in prices for, uh, delivery for goods next year, presumably fertilizer being the, the biggest, uh, sort of thorn in your side at the moment. But is that is that safe to say that it, it doesn't quite seem like inflation is cracking or, or cooling off from from your perspective, uh, given all the, the inputs that you have to uh, acquire? Yeah, no, that's that's correct. I do not yeah. see I do not see our prices coming down anytime soon. And I know farmers are concerned that, again, being price takers, that we do worry. We know that commodities tend to cycle. And, and, uh, we have see a good crop worldwide, the, the commodities that we sell, the corn, the soybeans, the pork, the beef, the milk could, could go down because of, of global supply. Whereas I don't see an immediate solution to some of the, remember how base fossil fuel dependent agriculture is if both on the, on the fuel side and on the fertilizer side, I right. don't see a solution. So let's just say natural gas. Uh, I do not see Europe not coming here and buying a lot of natural gas. Now, <laughs> you tell me, you watch the, the global markets more than I do. I don't see anything short of regime, regime change in Russia changing the, the realities of the gas supply for Europe. And if Europe needs to shop for gas here, that is going to drive the cost of fertilizer up, period. And, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's a, a very astute analysis of the situation. I don't either, uh, you know, uh, absent some major change of, of heart of, uh, of Vladimir Putin. I, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, I don't, I just, I, I just see that continuing to be difficult. Uh, we've got tariffs on right now, uh, with, I mean, it, so Russia could be a big supplier of fertilizer too, but who's doing business with Russia? Maybe the Brazilians will, maybe the Chinese will, but I don't think we will. And we've got 301 and 232 tariffs on with China as well on some of the base petrochemical uh, uh, products that we need on our on our plant protection products. I don't see those going away. I don't see trade with China. I mean, I, I think it's always going to be tenuous, but I sure don't see uh, a big breakthrough on trade there either. So that would lead my, to my pessimism on input costs uh, for American agriculture. And, and like I said, Mike, if we're going to, we need more fertilizer production in this country. If you wanted to, if you could get the investors and you could find a site that would allow you to do it and you wanted to build a plant, you're three or four years before you've got product to sell. That's just the realities of construction today. And, right. and so that's why I'm, 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 I just think we're, we're in a higher cost uh, baseline for agriculture, for product, for, especially for crop agriculture as we go forward. 
Uh, fascinating stuff, Brian. I got to say, if someone can come up with uh, an Illinois version of that Iberico pork leg, I'm a, I'm a buyer. <laughs> well, you've got to let them graze under the nut trees in Spain, I think, is why they get that taste. And then, Mike, those pigs, remember I told you 18 months on a, on a commercial production facility in, in the United States. I think you're, you stretch that out to about three years in Spain. So uh, right. their production, yeah, it may be delicious, but it's it's limited. Um, <laughs> All right. That's All that's right. that's the reality. Fair enough. It. I will tell you, I, I eat enough of the domestically grown pork as well. Uh, that uh, I, I'm doing my my part for the for the market here. Bacon makes everything better. <laughs> Even <laughs> salad, <true>. Vildana. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent stuff, Brian. I think um, we've got just a few minutes left, so uh, hopefully they warned you about our little gimmick here—the craziest thing we saw in markets this week. I'm dying to hear what yours is, but Valdana, let's get started with yours. What's the craziest thing you've seen this week? So I know you love to make fun of me for living in New York. So my craziest thing actually is about living in New York. So New York City, this is a Bloomberg story, continues to be the priciest place to be a tenant. And the median one-bedroom rent is up 40% year over year. Two-bedroom apartments are up 47%. 47%. And Manhattan is the worst. Monthly rent has climbed to $4,212, up 27% from last year. That's the average? Yes. That is tremendous. Or the I, wonder, is- did it, I wonder if it, it uh, maybe it dipped during COVID and it's catching back up. I don't know. I wonder if that's part I of it. I think it dipped in the beginning and, and now everything's just surging and you hear these stories of people waiting like two or three hours just to go and see an apartment before they can even try yeah. to sign up for one. Everyone bailed out on the city and now they're getting called back to work and they have to find a place. Quick. Yeah, but 40 47%, that's crazy. That, that is nuts. And that rent component and you know, if you want to talk about CPI, that rent component is one of the one of the biggest components. Well, Brian, how about you? Have you seen anything crazy in your world uh, in the last week or so? Nope, I'm priced my nitrogen for next year. Uh, next year's corn crop and it is up 65% over wow. what I priced it at for this year's crop. So 65% wow. price increase. And, and Mike, if you want to pull up your Chicago Board of Trade prices and look out into next December, corn is worth less than it is right now. Uh, but yet we're dealing with 65% price increase for the base fertilizer we need to grow corn. Wow. And that is, does that all uh, sort of relate back to the natural gas price? That's a, that's a big yeah, world, world demand, natural gas, supply yeah. chain, transportation, uh, all sorts of disruptions. Yes, yes, and yes. It's all the headlines are hitting you at once, it sounds like. That's, yes. <laughs> well, we wish you the best of luck, Brian, uh, uh, and a fascinating conversation. Um, you really sell yourself short. You're, you're, you could be teaching an economics class, not just a, a finance class. We really appreciate your time. Let me hit you with my crazy thing before we leave. Uh, Valdana, one thing that caused inflation, uh, or, or one of the issues causing inflation that a lot of people were focused on was used car prices. I've got a ridiculous price for a used car here. It's a 1985 Ford Escort. Uh, recently went up for auction. Uh, the trick here is that it was owned by Princess Diana of Oh, that's cute. That's a small asterisk. <laughs> small, small <laughs> asterisk. So it was that I 
I'm amazing to think that a, the princess of England was driving around in a Ford Escort uh, back in the day, but that that's what they had her in. I guess they wanted her to look like she one can of the be people. incognito in it. Yeah. Yeah. So in 1985, Ford Escort RS Turbo. Um, and I don't know if you remember the 80s enough to remember the Ford Escort. Not exactly a luxury car, let's just say. This uh, sold new in 1985 for 8,500 pounds, so about ten, less than 10,000 at today's exchange rate. So it's now the time to play the prices precise. Precise. Pr- precise. Price is correct. What do you think Princess Diana's 1985 Ford Escort RS Turbo sold for at auction okay you always I, I i do so poorly with the with the car ones i'm gonna go with two hundred and fifty thousand pounds two hundred fifty thousand pounds okay so that would be a little less than three hundred thousand u.s something like that all right brian time f- time for you to claim victory over vildana here in our little game show what do you what do you think the price was at auction for Princess Diana's Ford Escort. Oh, three quarters of a million. Oh my God, this guy's good. Well, what did a, what did a Stan Musial rookie card sell for the other day? Well north of a million. So a car has got to be worth yeah. a baseball card or clothes. Yeah, the, the Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle. It was the Mickey Mantle rookie. Yeah. It was like 10 million or something like that. $764,000. Wow. Brian was basically a rounding error off in his guess. That's very, very, that's really good. Well, I was, I was going to guess 2 million. So I guess I'm glad I didn't go with my first guess. <laughs> Still three quarters of a million dollars for a 85 Ford Escort. It's, it's a crazy world out there. I don't know. But Brian, is the car if you ever... functioning? Is the car still functioning? I, you know, I believe it is. I'd have to read the whole story. And this is courtesy of the Washington Post. And if, and if it was a sport, it had a four speed. You know, it had a manual transmission, had to be. So that makes it worth more, too, just on the fun factor. The fun fact. Yeah, well, good luck finding someone who knows how to drive one of those these days. I think you and me might be among the, the only ones left who uh, who can drive a stick. I haven't driven a stick, I don't think, in this century. So I'd, I'd probably burn out a clutch or two on that, trying to remember how to drive drive a manual. But, Brian, good stuff. If you ever give up the farming uh, career, I think you, you could get a job as an appraiser of uh, crazy collectibles. Yeah. Because you nailed it. <laughs> well, it's been uh, it's been nice getting to know both of you. Thank you for this opportunity. I've certainly enjoyed it, and maybe we can do it again sometime. Would love that, Brian. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. What goes up? We'll be back next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal website and app, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts so more listeners can find us. And you can find us on Twitter. Follow me at Reganonymous. Vildana Hyrick is at Vildana Hyrick. You can also follow Bloomberg Podcasts at Podcasts. What Goes Up is produced by Stacey Wong. The head of Bloomberg Podcast is Francesca Levy. Thanks for listening. See you next time. business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. 
You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.